What's going on, everyone? 360 Digital Closing Bell here. I am your humble, humble correspondent, Michael Tanner. Join for our week look back podcast, episode number 26 here on this beautiful June 16th. We are coming to you at from an undisclosed location here in Denver, Colorado. As always, I am joined by the executive producer of the show, the purveyor of the show, and the director and publisher of hands down the world's greatest website, oilandgas360.com. Stuart Turley, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Michael. We are having a great time today, and it's going to be the weekend soon. It is the weekend soon. If you are listening to this, it is Friday morning, but a little inside baseball. We are recording this Thursday afternoon, so if we do miss anything on the news deck that drops tomorrow morning, please, we will make sure to update the podcast. It's been a wild, wild week. We've had so many different um, uh, um, stories drop. I'm going to toot my own horn when we whip around the oil patch here in segment one. A lot of the stories that I was I was looking on happened, so you know we'll toot my own horn there. Uh, no pun intended. We'll also check in on the crude oil levels. And the EIA, 600,000 barrel drop for crude oil production this week. Unbelievable for crude oil inventories. And then, as always, we'll check in with the 360 official, non-official fund. But first, I need to tell you about my friends at Adamantine Energy and really what they're doing for the energy space. This company is a specialty ESG and social risk exposure company. And what they're doing is they're helping executives answer the question, what is social risk? And really, it's not just community opposition to development projects anymore. It's everything from the success of the divest from fossil fuels movement to investor engagement on your ESG programs to all these individual states setting extremely ambiguous climate and decarbonization agendas. Social risk seems like it's everywhere now, moving fast and multiplying like zombies. They have that in the read, multiplying like zombies i'm telling you and your company needs a strategic partner to help assess and prepare for that please they're led by tisha shuler who's the probably the greatest person i know she's the former ceo of the colorado oil and gas association i've had the pleasure of knowing her for almost over you know, a little over a year now and i tell you every time i talk with her i learn something and i just leave with a great interaction she is an awesome person and she leads adam a teen helping companies just like yours expose your uh, expose, excuse me, your exposure to social risk. Talk about a tongue twister right there. She's going to help you with all of your options and how to create uh, on, on how to, you know, what your peer companies are responding to and even the opportunities that social risk can actually create for your business, which is something I don't think a lot of people think about. I think a lot of people think it's a net negative on their business line. No, 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 no. And in today's environment, it is can be a net positive when you talk about the investment that come in. So it is important not to forget about this. Um, if you are not already, uh, if you are not already reading Tisha's weekly emails on what's on the horizon for the oil and gas sector, please do that now. Your competitors are reading it. You can check out all of that stuff on oilandgas360.com. Um, yeah, and I think before we do that, let's go ahead and we need to do some quick clerical work here. Um, please follow this show, iTunes, Spotify, Intercom's YouTube channel. Check out Intercom and U- um, Intercom and Oil and Gas 360 on all of the major social media platforms. Check out the Oil and Gas 360 news desk available on the world's greatest website. You should also check out the Energy 360 Network, which is the best thought leadership podcast. We, we, so many interviews that we have lined up. What, what's on the docket for us? Well, we're uh, releasing uh, Jeffrey um, from la- uh, this week. He, we're going to release him next week. Uh, we have several others coming up. We have uh, the president and COO of Goodrich Petroleum dropping yes. out next week. That, uh, and I don't want I, I before you move on, I need to just toot your horn. We're gonna about to toot my horn in segment one because I, I sort of called some of these words. It's time to, to toot your horn. I think Alex Epstein was probably our best interview. This 
quite substantially was our second best interview, and it was a one-on-one between you and Rob, and you absolutely murdered it in a good way. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I'm learning from you. I'm, interviews aren't necessarily my thing. I'm much better when you just do this. You stick a mic in front of my face, and you just let me talk. So that's the best thing. Um, we're going to have so many great interviews coming up. I, I interrupted you. We got another one coming next week. Uh, yes, we have Andrew. He is the CEO of um, um, Gum, Data Gumbo. Oh, yes. And... We got Data Gumbo. I'm excited for that one. I will, yes. Can, can I hop in and be the interviewee? And be the Absolutely. Interviewer? Uh, I'm slip in on that. But no, Data Gumbo is awesome. They're doing some really, really cool stuff in the blockchain space. So please check that out. With all that oh, being oh. said, oh, also uh, Alan, the uh, founder of Drilling Info and in Inverus. So, oh yeah, that'll be a wild interview. He's got a lot of stuff, and he's yeah, he's a great follow at the Crude Awakening on Twitter. By the way, if you're if you're interested in a good EFT Twitter follow, I, I'd recommend following Alan Gilmore. Yeah, I think with all that being said, it's it's time to move in, into sort of covering what happened, you know, this week. It's been a first a wild week in oil and gas. I know we say that every single week and we sound like a broken record, but really it was just some absolutely crazy stuff that have happened. If you'd listen to my podcast on Monday, one of the big themes that I brought up was bankruptcy. There was there was a bunch of different reports about what was going to happen. The, fir- the, the first story that we ran, and that happened, you know, really late Sunday night, early Monday morning, was the CRC. As we know, Ju- Ju- uh, June 15th was their break, uh, basically their drop dead point for whether they were going to pay some of their, uh, basically in their 30-day grace period was up to either make interest payments or declare bankruptcy. They were given a 15-day extension. So the dead live on just another 15 days. Um, I'm sure they're doing specific talks to clear it up, but that dropped Sunday night. So I mean, already by Monday morning before the podcast even dropped, my sort of prediction was sort of coming true. Then Monday morning we had extraction oil and gas specifically declaring bankruptcy, um, which is for all of you out there, extraction is a specific DJ player. Um, They filed chapter 11 to do a comprehensive restructuring. They've got about nine... What is it? Let's look at here. They've got they they're basically looking to the the, the the these. I'm trying to look at the pricing here. Okay, here we go. It was about 600 million in debt, which is not good because they only have access to about 15 million dollars in liquidity right now. They skipped 30 days ago a 14.8 million dollar interest payment to sort of buy more time, and it just it, it didn't happen for me. And, and and I was pulling for extraction, as, as everybody knows. I usually wear my Mines baseball polo. He's a mine. Matt Owens is a Mines baseball alumni. Hate to see them go under. But when the business model is not solid, it's just what happens. So um, another one bites the dust in extraction. That's not good. No, not good. Um, because then, you know, not good that my prediction's coming true. And then Tuesday, what happens? Chesapeake comes out and says basically the same thing. They are uh, about ready to file bankruptcy. They're in the talk. Uh, they're wrapping up negotiations um, to secure 900 million, what's called debtor in possession loans. And, and I think this is what's, what's interesting. I think why a lot of people talk about, you know, chapter 11 negotiations. Well, you, you can't just fold the company. There are people who are on payroll, you still have some sort of payments to make. So a lot of the times before you can legally enter, not a lot of the times, every time before you enter, um, Chapter 11 bankruptcy, you have to have financing plan for how you're going to sustain yourself through the operations. They're looking at acquiring about $900 million in that debt or possession loan. But what they're also looking to do is roll up some of its existing debt and sell it off and roll that up to give them closer to about $2 billion in funding. And I made this joke 
on closing bell Tuesday. But, you know, as everybody knows, I, I hound people that trade on Robinhood. And you're more welcome to trade on Robinhood. But, but Robinhood has become sort of the darling and the, and, 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 and the mistress of, of, of energy finance and specifically financial Twitter. And one of the big things that Robinhood you can track is what shares people on Robinhood are buying. And Chesapeake was high. Chesapeake was was extremely high, and, and a lot of times you see bankrupt companies trade very high and become very volatile in the amount of volume because people want a slice of the pie. They think if Chesapeake goes bankrupt, I'd love an office. I'd love to be a part owner when this thing gets rebranded. And what's what, what what's funny is that never happens. And the company who's actually going to be taking over Chesapeake is probably the largest retirement mutual fund holder franklin templeton so all of these 10 year olds who were sitting in math who were sitting on their zoom conferences finishing up school trying to trade chesapeake jokes on you your great grandma just got handed to the company so uh it's gonna and they get it for about they're gonna take over the about seven billion that's gonna be left over in outstanding debt they're able to get like i said that 900 million dollar debtor in possession and then about 1.2 billion in more funding to to lower that debt and then hand it over to franklin resources Damn. another school of mines guy doug lawler i mean i'm not, not that uh he didn't play baseball so i don't take too much credit for this one but rough week for, for School of Mines guys, so we're we're having a, a solace uh, this Friday. Michael, up I'm, up. I'm glad that you're competent. Yeah, who knows? Maybe I'm about to go crazy or something. <laughs> who knows? We're having a vigil up at the M. Anyone who's listening to this, you can meet me up there tonight. We'll have a little vigil for the mine CEOs getting axed here. But, you know, I hate to say I was right at the beginning of the week when I mentioned bankruptcies was going to be the lead story this week. I don't like being right on that, but unfortunately it really was. I mean, those were really the, the, the three main major things that Ross Stu, you know, we ran an article you know, outside of bankruptcies, it was today or yesterday on, on uh, the JP Morgan Energy Conference and some of the wild, wild quotes that came out. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, this is just, I, I didn't know if this is the one that you wanted to bring up on sort of the oh. expansion of oil production. Oh, on U.S. shale companies? Yes. Oh, yes. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, U.S. shale companies uh, are increasing out 500 uh, thousand uh, BPD by the end of the month. And so that's a kind of a cool thing that they're starting to uh, pop back in. Now, uh, just because you have increase in uh, production, it's not in the shale area until you start putting in rigs and it just doesn't turn on overnight. So even though we're increasing it, it's still going to take a while. Yeah, the declines, a lot of this stuff is, is going to be interesting. And that was, you know, I mean, that was, and that was crazy. And that was by Devon Energy CEO, David Haggard. That was his yes. quote. And on, at the same time frame, S&P Global Platts drops an article saying Devon is cutting even more production. So it's just, it's really funny to see sometimes the balance between these companies. But yeah, this is, you know, um, 500,000 barrels. That's a lot considering we just saw 600,000 barrels last week get ripped off. Right. And then Rystad in the same article says another 400,000 could be added to the market between June and August. Those are price. Remember, remember when I was, when I was skeptical of the 40, 50 million barrel supply or demand shifts, I'm starting to feel the same way about some of these shut in numbers. I mean, we're talking about, I've seen numbers down at like 6 million barrels for shale oil production, bringing us oil production all the way down to, seven million barrels like what like that like I, as much as i was skeptical on 
huge, huge uh, demand. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay my claim. I'm a little skeptical on all of this shut-in stuff. Like, I don't think it's all gonna happen. It can't. But you're on the tread, you're on the shale treadmill, and the rigs are down. Well, as we so, saw this week, two of them are about to get kicked off. The two of them just just ran out of treadmill. Yeah, I'm. But when the shale drilling is down, um, it's not easy to pick back up. No, and, and, and that, speci- that's going to take the U.S. out of the energy leadership. Yeah, and, and and speaking of rigs, I mean, we ran. You know, we this is a theme we've been harping on on this podcast for a while. Is that rig count specifically is going to 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 be a, a is a big indicator of new oil production coming online. It's not just new oil production, but the growth of oil production. Because as we know, oil's decline. You're making ten thousand barrels today. You're not making ten thousand barrels tomorrow. I mean, some declines are are better than others. I've seen some very very nice soft declines, but generally you get hard rippers. Some of these shales start really really high tail off very quickly and and level out at a decent level but you're making all of your money up front and so we talk about rigs a lot and and one of the 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 basins that was really reliant on on rig production and specifically frack production was the pocket this is something that we also covered in our um uh, call with and our interview with rob mcbride you can check that out on the energy 360 podcast you know why the bakken has been getting hit a lot harder than some of these other regions First off, the co- you know you're going to bring this up in the international news desk, but just the cost per barrel is slightly higher there. You have to frack there. Some of your outside expenses are are there. I mean, right now I'm looking at some statistics. You know, this is an S and P Global article. North Dakota oil production has pretty much sunk to one and a half year lows, and you've got ten rigs. Ten rigs. I only need two hands. I don't even need to take my invisible socks off. Ten rigs and one frack crew out there, and one one frack. It's unbelievable. Um, the, the amount that's getting cut right now, they're getting hit so hard. A lot of it has to do with, like I said, high oil or, or, or the high cost, and and just where you know where the oil is going. You know, I, I'd encourage you to check out that Energy Three C podcast by Rob. He does a much better job of talking about some of the the supply chain issues, and that's really what what Enverse found. It, it's not oil production from an upstream side that's the bottleneck it's when you get down to the downstream and what the refiners are interested in and just the blend that comes out of north dakota is just exactly not what the op and the refineries want right now under all of this stress load so it's it's sort of funny funny in a way that it, it it's not it's not the upstream part of the bakken that's really causing the hurt it's the one being affected by the refineries changing a lot of different stuff so you know if, if, if you were laid off and then you were balking work our heart goes out to you because you know, it's just you, you got hit a little harder just due to some of the supply chain issues and again we've used the word unprecedented too many times but we'll say it one more time it was just an unprecedented event who knows if we'll be able to see this Stu, what happened to the international news desk this week we had some lots I, of great stories oh we had some craziness going on uh one of the articles that we have out there is break-even crude oil prices are one metric for the economic constraints facing OPEC plus members. This is really a critical article for folks to take a look at because when you take a look at a break-even number for a country, it's going to tell you a lot about what they are willing to do in order to either survive or pay. Let's and take- some re- yeah, read them off because there's some really interesting numbers in this article. And this is, a, like yep. you mentioned, Rare Petro article. They do great research. Wild yep. stuff. 
Wild stuff. And Saudi Arabia, their number is $63 a barrel because they have so many people on yes. uh, government payouts. Yeah, so that's what you. That's one thing before we get into these numbers. You bring up a good point. All of these numbers are not actually what their actual oil and gas drilling costs are. It's right. baked into it what, you know, most of OPEC relies on oil revenues to fund government stuff. So this is the break-even point that governments need to balance their budgets. Exactly. So imagine that's a scary proposition right there. Yeah, I've been, uh, I have some sources on Russia that I've been reading up on, and Russia is $41 a barrel, but their military spending is so far out of debt right now. They are in debt into their eye holes um, Mm -hmm. with their military, and so they're in some major trouble, and that $41 barrel is not even probably accurate anymore. Uh, Iraq is $54 a barrel. Uh, Kuwait is $45. Qatar's $39. Um, Kazakhstan is $63. Mexico is $33. So when Mexico and Mexico is hedged very well on top of that. So Mexico has a very right. big advantage on that, being only yes. that they need oil 33 to balance government revenues. Whew. But China. Uh, has got so many money problems right now. They are, they got caught again this week, Michael. Uh, They got caught again uh, going through and buying Venezuelan oil outside of the sanctions again. So last week they were threatening to um, ban a bunch of tankers and blacklist them from even being used. Now the Chinese are still doing it again. This article points out that money makes the difference on how far countries will go to cheat the system. Oh, and China's cheating? Well, it's news to me. Wow. Whew. I learned something new every day on this podcast. Um, the, 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 the one, you know, this is sort of a quasi-U.S. Um, international story. Stu ran this on the international news desk for the closing bell today was Schlumberger taking a $1.4 billion charge for restructuring their whole assets. Why that's a, both an interesting story is that's from the executive level. That's from Schlumberger top level. But if you've been following the podcast, you know that Oilfield services on the international side have done well. Slumberger quarter one to quarter one last year was up 16% in revenue, even baking in some of this. So this restructuring, $1.4 billion of restructuring, that's completely from downsizing on the U.S. side and, and, and shows that Slumberger, as you know, Stu mentioned in the show, it may not be looking to leave the U.S. entirely, but shift its focus to become much more of an international-focused company, especially as the, as, the, as the international stuff moves forward. So when you see Schlumberger taking a $1.4 billion charge, that's unfortunately a direct consequence of the U.S. energy market, not necessarily a factor of how the international um, scene is playing out. You bet. You got that right. One last uh, article from the uh, city, Sydney Morning Herald this morning. Uh, Chevron is looking to sell its 1.6, mm. uh, 34 billion Northwest shelf venture right off of Australia. They've had that, um, actually there 30 years it is a very profitable LNG pro, uh, uh, program and they're doing it so that Chevron can focus more on renewables. It's amazing 
uh, capital is being tied to renewables as well as uh, performance metrics. So yeah, oh, that's it's, another one. everything is getting tied to ESG and all that jazz. And I encourage you, we did a really, uh, Intercom did a really nice internal, we did a really nice internal discussion on, on ESG and how it touches all different aspects of your businesses. I encourage you to check that out. Anything on the news side, I mean, this was, uh, you know, bankruptcy, big storyline this week. You know, Bakken, unfortunately, is getting hit hard. Some great internationals. Is we missing anything? Is there anything we need to keep these guys up on before we shift to oil? Uh, one last thing, uh, we did put that uh, Rare Petro article out. That's actually, this one, this Rare Petro article is covering post-COVID global demand series. It's part one. Kevin over at Rare Petro does an outstanding job uh, covering this out. Construction, manufacturing, transportation, air travel, real estate, all have demand yep. impacts on oil. Here's the problem. COVID's wiped out a ton of that. Here's where we're going to really go through. And Kevin talks about fantastic data on recovery and demand in this article. It's on the, it's on the news desk. Yeah, check it out. It's also trending on oil and gas news. Just type it in on Google. You'll be able to find it quick. That was cool to see. But I think it's time to go ahead and just shift into the oil levels for the week. As always, this segment is sponsored my sandstone capital group these guys do insanely good research to provide all of the levels and the stories via their energy solution I, if you've listened to this podcast before you you've heard me talk about them just just give them a call they're great guys 949-561-1818 or check them out sandstonecg.com for all of your research needs you know when we, when we look at, at at sort of the themes you know obviously we covered a lot of the stories so i'm not going to kind of go over a lot of the stories really when, when i'm looking at, at specifically the, the the levels for the week um you know it was a, it was a bullish week we started at 34 dollars. we're all the way up at 30 at 39 now so it was a really good 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 week for crude um but we are still range bound one of the big things i mentioned was that 30 you know probably that you know that top level 39 39.91 uh, all the way down to probably 33.35 was where i set that bottom limit we did crack a little bit below that but if you're looking for sort of a range bound trade those are what i'm those i'm looking at two really really good levels point of control for the week 39.01 so as we continue to just move that point of control up that's one of the biggest things you know week to week tracking where that point of controls is going to tell you a lot about where the sentiment is on a lot of the big 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 volume when really when i look at the levels 33 35 or excuse me 35 35 is probably our lowest target now you know i, I know i mentioned 33 45 might be the lower end of the range but i'm probably going to go ahead now just looking at the way the volume has shifted out over the past five years move that up probably your floors you know 35 even maybe 35 35 we have a really really nice volume there 36 uh, 78 is probably a level that you could get in a nice long position if you're still necessarily bullish and you think that top range is ready to go um, 38, uh, 3818 is a really good level was last week's point of control. This week's point of control, 3901, really that top range, 3991. I mean, right now, the way I have it, I, I would move into the week. And, and as we know, oil's closing here, or, uh, oil just closed up here. If you're listening, um, as we record this on a Thursday afternoon, um, you know, I'm probably short in oil when the markets opens here. Um, you know, not that I necessarily think it's going to be a, a bearish day. I think what you can do is when the market opens, remember market opens at, at 4 p.m. here. So in about three minutes, we're going to see oil open. I could see a depression to maybe a little Friday rally. But I, you know, if, if we finish $38, $39 tomorrow, I'm going to be very bearish moving into next week. But you'll have to check out the podcast on Monday for that. 
when we look at the EIA and, and, and the crude inventory numbers, I mean, just a wild storage week. So, I mean, first off, you had um, Cushing stocks drop again, 2.6 million barrels, all the way down to 46.8. If you're on, the, if you go to the EIA's website, they'll give you the five-week rain, the five-week moving averages. We finally dropped back in below, which is really, really good to see, just from a statistical standpoint. Um, distillate demand was up to 3.6 million barrels per day. That's up uh, 300,000 barrels. Uh, gasoline demand was pretty much flat, though I did see some interesting gas buddy data talking about consumption was up has been up week over week so if, if you, there's a really good um if you're on twitter his name's oh i'll have to i'll link it in the show or put it on the news deck it's this guy that gives really really great gasoline demand information on time does it over week over week um i, I, I don't want to butcher his name so we'll just i'll link his twitter in, in the show notes and you guys can check it out um but 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 gasoline demand at least consumption is coming but but it was odd to see the demand uh stay flat but this was the the craziest number total domestic production down six hundred thousand barrels to 10.5 million barrels kind of a slap in the face to what we heard today from all of these ceos but hey we're turning back on five hundred thousand barrels 10.5 million barrels that's the lowest since march 2018 uh, that's i don't even know what i was doing in 2018 it's not even that long ago and i couldn't even that's that two years ago Woo-hoo! you have a hard time figuring out what you did yesterday michael yeah or 20 minutes ago so i have no problem with it uh, it's definitely it definitely a thing so it, it's just gonna be interesting to see you know the sentiment you know remember there's there's the signal and the noise and sometimes the signal is not what the actual noise sounds like you know the signal seems like people are gonna start turning back on production we will see i am scared you know i mean it's a big number Six hundred thousand barrels is a wild number so I see where some of these, you know, the rice stats of the world, these guys, these projections, these guys who really do projections of the world, why they might say, hey, let's get that oil production down. You know, we might see 8 million barrels, you know, from 10.5. Yeah, I'm skeptical. I, I think if, if, if I, I think we begin to turn around a little, but I'm going to be very interested in what happens next week. But 600,000 barrels. I think that's, I don't, I don't have these numbers in front of me, but I would wager that that's probably the biggest week to week drop um, we've had in four or five years. I'm taking note. Let's take a look at that. I bet yeah, you're right. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, take a look with that. Anything with oil, Stu? Before we move on here and cover the inter- uh, cover the uh, 360 fund. Um, uh, it's going to be a rough ride for the next few bit, but we'll be there covering it. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what happens tomorrow's trading day. Specifically, you're listening to this on Friday, what oil is doing, because specifically when it closes, you know, we'll give all of our biases for what we think is going to happen in the week upcoming. That'll drop Monday before the market opens. But I think we just go ahead and shift into the th- covering the 360 official, non-official fund. But before we do that, as always, the lawyers make us say this so we don't get sued. This segment is for entertainment purposes only. Everybody on the show, i.e. me, Michael Tanner, Stuart Turley, we invest for our own accounts. We do not manage any outside money. We do not give investment advice. We do not offer securities or have any involvement in the regulated side of the industry. You remember investing in is risky and you can and will lose your entire principal. That being said, Stu, how's your side of the portfolio looking? Um, it's doing mediocre. Uh, my Duke is just still kind of hanging in there. LNG's still kind of hanging in there, but my Enphase is starting to kick back in. Now, uh, Enphase is the chip manufacturer for solar. Mm-hmm. And uh, it looks like uh, I may have bottomed out in the chart showing a buy again. So I'm glad that I'm, I've got a, a, a good, good run coming up on that one. So how's Tomcat look? Tomcat's doing some kind of fun stuff. He's um, doing some uh, Devon work and uh, doing some shorts, some calls, some puts. He's getting, after he's it. getting on the options game. I don't recommend that. 
Um, if, if uh, options, know what you're doing before you invest in options, but if you know what you're doing, options can be a great leverage tool for you. He is having a blast. He's in Devon, right? Interesting. Yes. He hasn't been listening to the, he must have taken a couple weeks off listening to the podcast. Um, yeah, he's got another one here. Let me see if I can grab it real quick. Mm. Um, RRC is another one he's in. They're down. Range resources. Yep. He's, well, he's long natural gas. He's going along with the experts. I like the move. Yep, he's in there. So he's playing it big. I love it. My side of the portfolio, um, you know, as always, we're long-term in natural gas at Bonanza Creek. The problem is we're in at $1.79 for our natural gas contracts, and currently natural gas is trading at $1.63. So we've eaten in the shorts there. Um, right, right. We'll be holding out a lot longer, but it's okay. Um, as always, we have Bonanza Creek. We were in at fourteen eighty nine, so they had a little regression all the way down to seventeen bucks. But we like them as a long term cash flow position, and we're going to keep them in. You know, in terms of of, of the day trading side, I'm probably going to enter next week on a bearish sentiment, considering we're thirty nine bucks. Um, right now, um, and, and I think we're going to have a depression back down to 35, but it'll be very interesting. I will kind of get these levels figured out and let you guys know, but probably we're going to be entering with a couple short positions on oil as we move into the week. But as always, you have to tune in to the Monday podcast to do that. It's about 30 minutes here. I mean, we'll keep it short and sweet. We covered a lot of the good news items today. Got some of the okay. levels kicked out. EIA does a great Are we missing anything, Stu? Oh, what's Kreskin got? Kreskin, I think we're going to hit 34.28. 3428 you heard it here first people and and you know you did you heard it here first even if it at some point it could trade at that level and when it does remember you heard it here first but with that we're gonna go ahead and let you guys get out of here and get back to work thank you for checking out the 360 digital closing bell you have our permission to end your day and start your weekend early see you guys on monday with the